0: All right. Here we go. Quiet!
1: Welcome back to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look, as always, at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and we put them all into some sort of context. I've yet to figure out what that context actually is. But seated across the microphone from me, as always, is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief Rich Trees. And
0: seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor and Doubting Thomas, Natasha Bogutsky. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, no, I mean we talk about older films and how they um connect with newer films. in fact, that's kind of gonna be uh, the theme, I think, a little bit of the discussion at least for our retro review today of Scarface, which will be coming up in just a few Woo! minutes um which was oddly enough, a, a first time watch for both of us, but we'll we'll get into that um in like I said in a few minutes. but uh, first off, how are you doing today? <laughs> How are you? Doing? How are you? Well, I'm, I'm doing okay. That's everybody just wants to tune into a podcast to hear somebody yawn in their ear. Hopefully, they're not driving. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, I've survived my crazy busy week. Last week, mm. I had. Four screenings in the space of 26 hours. and Yeah, that's nuts, but... I know. I can't talk about any of them because I've forgotten to look at what the embargo dates on some of them are. Uh-huh. So I don't want to screw that up. Um, I will say this. We will be talking about all four of these movies once they come out, uh, as they get closer to their release at least. Um, saw some great performances
1: are, are uh, would you say they are all going to be awards contenders
0: um in one way or another yes all four all four Ooh. films have things to recommend them for the academy awards they're not all going to be necessarily competing against each other in some of the bigger categories mm Ooh. Tap danced around that.
1: Yes, <laughs> without, you did. <laughs> I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, and you do realize them. we're just being cock to our audience. I know. <laughs> I know. It's,
0: it's terrible. Um, I, I feel bad. I've sometimes grinded my teeth when I heard it on other podcasts. So I apologize right off the bat um, for that. But uh, some exciting stuff coming up. One thing I did see this weekend um, that I can talk about, as a Saturday Night Live fan, I was looking forward to it, Um, the group Please Don't Destroy, who currently are writers on SNL, and they do uh, the short films for Saturday Night Live right Mm. now, they have a feature-length film that they shot a little while ago that just came out on um, Peacock called The Legend of Foggy Mountain. And it's okay. No, It's it's not. Honestly, overall, I don't think it holds up together as well as, you know, like some of their shorter stuff. And it's funny. As I was watching this, this is going to sound like a really deep, weird, obscure comedy cut. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know me about deep, weird, obscure comedy. Yeah. It's a problem. Yes. It reminded me a bit of... um, Back in the aughts, there was a internet comedy team called Derek Comedy that did a lot of shorts. And then they made a movie called Mystery Team, which was kind of like a satire about those young adult books, like The Three Investigators, where, you know, they're, you know, preteens or teenagers who solve mysteries. And they're a fun read, like, you know, it was an evolution of the Hardy Boys or the Nancy Drew idea. And you know, so they made a movie called Mystery Team about a group of these kids, three, three of these kids who are now in their early 20s and still think that they're 13 and <laughs> solving lost dog mysteries and stuff like that. But they actually stumble onto something very big, uh, like a vast conspiracy with murder and everything else. And it kind of reminded me of that in terms of the vibe. Um, now, I should say Derek Comedy who made mystery team uh one of the three members was Donald Glover who of course goes yeah. on to community,
1: community and, and everything else great fame and acclaim yes. yes
0: and um so so you know you it's not entirely obscure but as I was watching Foggy Mountain, I was kind of thinking along the same lines of like, this sort of feel vibing the same way. You know, there's a lot of comedy ideas that they're exploring. The, the basic nugget of the comedy idea is good. I like some of the themes about three friends who feel like they're kind of growing apart and going in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it all gels completely, but it was a lot of fun. It, at parts. You know, there was some there were some good laugh out loud moments. Um Conan O'Brien shows up as one of the uh kids um dad. Oh. Yes.
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: It, it in a mustache and like little scruffy van dyke beard. So, yeah. It's yeah. How
1: did it feel? Uh-oh. Seeing Conan o- knowing that Conan O'Brien is now old enough to be another comedian's dad.
0: <laughs> um, uh, well, speaking as someone who stayed up that first night back in 1990-whatever to see this fresh-faced kid take over David Letterman's spot and sitting there thinking, who the hell is this weirdo? He's tall and weird. Um, yeah. Uh <laughs> It's it's a little disconcerting, because then I start doing the math and think again about how old I am, and I don't like those numbers <laughs> at all. But again, I think it kind of speaks a little bit. I mean, okay, Conan O'Brien was somebody you know I would watch all the time, especially on his NBC show, because uh, he always had some really – whoever was booking his musical guests on that show deserves their very own honorary Emmy, because they were always booking really cool – alternative bands Mm -hmm. um and but but watching him over the years you kind of get that i've aged along with him and um tangentially i've also been watching a lot of clips and stuff on david letterman's official youtube channel okay and on that they have like crew members talking about their favorite moments from the show like little you know 15 minute segments and they'll show like little bits and pieces of this and that, and in the space of a couple of days, three different people mentioned uh, working on that last montage from David Letterman's last show on CBS that starts off, you know, that was just like uh, still photos and that moved around and stuff from his uh, all his years in late night, and they would show a bit of that montage each time somebody brought it up but they always showed the last portion where you've got foo fighters cramming away and um and then it goes from like a picture of dave on his very first late night episode and then through like and then it kind of zooms through all these pictures over the years and you you see basically him aging in that time
1: that happens.
0: Yes. But but to have it see that all at once, you know, in the space of like that 32 years condensed down into about 32 seconds. Uh, it's really interesting. And it's kind of like how I think about, OK, yeah, Conan O'Brien. I was able to, you know, experience his aging in real time as opposed to. You see somebody from a TV show – you watch a TV show that was filmed in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Then you don't see them in anything else.
1: Until – And then, yeah. yeah.
0: And then they show up at the Emmys or something like that for a retrospective of said 90s TV show. And you're like, holy crap, they got old. Well, of course they got old. But
1: – You don't it's, connect to it. Yeah, you
0: don't connect to it because it's kind of trapped in – they're trapped in amber in your mind at a certain age. Whereas other celebrities, we kind of – Follow. Follow along. We age with them. And but then to of, you know, suddenly look back at you know when we started watching them and seeing that, holy crap, that difference! <laughs> it's like it's like when I worked on um on that Nora Ephron film that John Travolta was on. I'm sorry, I uh, I feel like I'm dropping a name here. Uh uh-huh. huh. Kind of am. Uh huh. But you know, yeah, you spend two days on set with John Travolta standing right there, and then you go home. You know, and this is. Ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. and then you go home and you throw on Nick at Night, and oh, Welcome Back, Connor is on, and nineteen seventy eight, John Travolta walks into the walks into the scene. It's a bit of a oh yeah, that's right, that was John Travolta. Not that yeah, it's 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 a weird disconnect sometimes how we have
1: or like or with how with we me uh, and Harry Potter or growing up with you D- know, Daniel Radcliffe, watch, Radcliffe. Da- yeah, watching yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. He's a hell of an actor, by the way. He is. He's fantastic.
0: I'm so glad that he has that kind of financial freedom to just choose whatever weirdo project strikes his fancy.
1: Yeah, but he's he's definitely done more than just the odd little weird indie project. But I have a great appreciation for the fact that he said, you know, I'm not going to just be a star actor. And I want to try doing different things because that's what helps him to grow. And mm-hmm. I think he has become all the better because of it.
0: Yeah, I mean he'll he'll show up in um, now, the now you see me sequel. Yeah, and then he'll show he was up. Funny
1: in the uh, in lost city.
0: Oh yeah, he was great in Lost City, <laughs> and you know he'll show up in something like that weird action film. Uh, was it Guns Akimbo? That
1: was amazing. I know it was so weird, and I loved it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I I am so happy that he can afford to do stuff like that now. And just you know, not kind of care, and just go off and do that stuff, and
1: because he's built his name beyond Harry Potter yes. at this point, so yes. he he is looked at for you know, would you like to do this project? It, it took Rupert a little while, Rupert Grint, mm-hmm. Ronald Weasley, a, a bit to get to that point, but I think he's starting to develop it, but it's. It's it's definitely going to be more mm-hmm. niche horror based yeah. stuff because of Servin or working with Guillermo del Toro and now and mm-hmm. that Shyamalan uh, and
0: true. Um, I mean, there was a Rupert Grant film. I'm trying to remember. It was from a couple years back where he was like it was. It involved something about faking the moon landing. I can't. Remember. What? I can't remember what it is now. Uh, but I remember watching it and thought think it was kind of like this little weird manic little British indie and. I really liked it. He did
1: some good ones. I can't, uh,
0: yeah. There I can't was one what he did. He, he
1: did one with Bill Nighy and um Emily Blunt. It was this quirky little comedy about like a female grifter who got herself embroiled in some sort of theft and she's got a, a case full of stuff and next thing you know she's ragtagging along with a, a just this mm-hmm. freaking kid she like jumped in his car to get away from being chased and now he's a a part of it and Bill Nye's after and I wish I could remember the name of it but it was cute and quirky and fun and Mm. wild target I mean it wasn't a great movie but it was that was Mm -hmm. the one I was talking about I mean it wasn't good but it was it was it was a cute little watch but Emma Watson I think her her Name. I've grown up with all three of these, but I think they've all kind of come out of it in, in different ways. Emma, when I was younger, loved her. As I've gotten older, I realize she's not as great of an, an actress as, uh, as everyone likes to think she is. I'm gonna get shot now. <laughs> uh, no, she is what I would call a personality actor. She's a star. She. She plays something similar in every single role that she's done. And the times where she's tried to branch out, you can still see that she's just playing Emma Watson or playing another variation of Hermione. Whereas uh, Daniel, Daniel's not there. And Rupert's getting to the point where he, I I can see that as well. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, he knows how to separate character from himself. Big
0: time. Yeah. And in Moonwalkers, mm-hmm. the Robert Grint movie, Rupert Grint, excuse me, um, in Moonwalkers, uh, his co-star was Ron Perlman. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Now I got to find this. I was just about to say, hunt that down. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's weird that, you know, how certain actors and such get uh, calcified in our memories and mm-hmm. others do not because- we're constantly exposed to them. Yeah. Which is which is interesting, but it's still yeah, it's still kind of weird though. It is a reality check when you go from 30 years or so of watching Conan O'Brien late night goofball to Conan O'Brien comic actor shouting fuck constantly in this movie. Well,
1: <laughs> well, actually I thought it was um interesting cuz oh, using Harry Potter As an example. Uh, Yeah, I grew up with a lot of the kids, but then some of them disappeared after the the show is over. Um, Mm -hmm. Some still tried to do things like Matthew Lewis did a a few films, Neville Longbottom. Um, The twins, uh, Fred and George really haven't done much except for like showing up in as a twin, pretty much a gag in Last Night in Soho. Uh, Ivana Lynch just kind of disappeared. She promotes for like Harry Potter and all that. And it's the same with uh, Tom Felton. Like, they kind of just got calcified as their characters mm-hmm. from Harry Potter and well, they weren't really able to grow as mm-hmm. much after. He, the fact. he
0: was in the first of the Planet of the Apes uh, new cycle of films.
1: That was 10 years ago. I
0: know. I know. That was 10 years ago. That though. was literally
1: which, right after Harry which Potter he ended. He was good,
0: though. He was fine. He was great. He. Uh, He got the – it's a madhouse line originally shouted by Chuck Heston in the original Planet of the Apes. God bless him for that, you know.
1: No, I I agree with you. But even then, so much time has passed Mm -hmm. that I don't really think that did a dent
0: for him at all. No. It might be a case where some of those – Actors, you know, they did this as kids. You know, I was like, oh, I want to be an actor. Oh, I can be in a Harry Potter film? Fuck yeah. And then afterwards, they're like, you know, maybe I don't want to be an actor. Maybe I want to pursue this other thing in, for as an adult.
1: And I and, have no problems oh, yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean, Chunk from Goonies did the same thing. He became an entertainment lawyer. And God bless him for all the good work he has done over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also i had to come back last year when hbo did their 20th anniversary special and it wasn't just the kids Like seeing robbie coltrane on that uh, for me he's calcified in my memory n- not just as hagrid <laughs> but as like the character he did in like golden eye
0: okay yeah the, uh, the, the russian the russian general he showed up in a couple of the bond films as that character yes i recall he, yes he did um for me uh and then my... seeing
1: how old he's yeah and and for uh.
0: for me robbie my robbie coltrane memories go back to like high school for um when he starred in um (laughs) the the double feature of heresy the pope must die and then nuns on the run with eric Idle. um i just
1: i just like the titles i don't really (laughs) not really interested but i like the titles um
0: Sister Act came second, but Nuns on the Run is kind of a gender-swapped Sister Act, where the two guys are, like, on the run. They're, like, low-level mob guys who cross their boss, and they're trying to hide out. Like so a they, version
1: of Nonsense?
0: Yeah. So they wind up hiding in a, in a convent a- and dressing as nuns. <laughs> and um, The Pope Must Die is uh, – it's another comedy about where, after a pope has passed, the most unlikely candidate winds up getting elected pope, but there's this whole janitor. conspiracy oh, going on. Janitor. Hmm?
1: I said, God, I hope it's the janitor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's kind of like King Ralph, but um, yeah, another. Oh, John Goodman's King Ralph. You've never seen that? Oh, his his love interest in that is the woman who plays uh, Rose's mom on Doctor Who, and she's like so young there that. When she popped up in Doctor Who, when that restarted in what 2006 or whatever it was,
1: 2005,
0: 2005, I didn't recognize her, <laughs> and it wasn't until I looked her up on IMDb and went, oh, but, yeah, um, yeah. So we're we're really tangenting off on these like weird 90s, 80s comedies that people. You're have the forgotten. one tangenting on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, you're, you're down a rabbit hole that I I don't speak the language.
0: Mm-hmm. I know, I know. Uh, some of these movies I think I do have on the Plex, so. Uh,
1: yeah, I will not be watching them.
0: You won't watch The Pope Must Die?
1: No. Ah, oh, it's funny.
0: Nun's on the run. No. You don't want to see Robbie Coltrane teach Eric Idle how to do the, uh, make the sign of the cross? Spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch.
1: Well, uh, you just did it for me now, so why do I it? He does de- it better. It's funnier. Oh, well.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, here's an 80s movie you did watch.
1: Nice transition. Very Thank nice. You.
0: Yes. Today, our retro review Wait, is- Wait, we
1: were supposed to watch the 80s one?
0: <laughs> I know you watched it. <laughs> Don't even start.
1: <laughs> I thought we were supposed to watch the Howard Hawks, the
0: nineteen thirty two version. No, no, we were watching uh, Oliver well, Stone, shit. written, Brian De Palma directed, nineteen eighty three. Well, we have to postpone that. We have to
1: postpone this another three hours while oh, I no. go sit and watch it. No, I <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course, I watched the Al Pacino.
0: Yes, uh, and okay, so let's just dive right into it. It's a remake. Of the original uh, film starring Cagney, directed by Howard Hawks, written by um, Ben Hecht, the great Ben Hecht, mm-hmm. and what were your first impressions? No, for well, first of all, half a step back. Had you seen the original?
1: I've seen bits and pieces. I've okay. not seen it in its entirety.
0: Okay. And so, so you're just taking the the movie as its At own face piece, face value. Yes. yes. Okay. What were your impressions? I know you. Brilliant. In, okay. I know you messaged me one thing while you were watching it, and I want to get to that in a minute. Oh. <laughs> I want to get to that in a minute because I'm like, I'm not sure what she means here, but I'm dying to find out. Uh, but yeah. So overall, first impressions though.
1: I think it is a brilliant masterpiece. I like how it talks about the American dream. Um, there's great little bits of kind of tongue-in-cheek. So, for example, when our wonderful Tony Montana comes to America, the first time we see him, he's being interviewed by, I guess you could say, Immigration Services. And um, they ask him, how do you speak such good English? And he goes, well, my dad used to take me to the movies when I was a kid. You know, Bogart, Cagney, I love those guys. And I kind of like I, – I, I like the idea that those films, those those gangster films of the time imprinted on this kid so much that, of course, he tries to follow that trajectory as those – as his idols did mm-hmm. as a kid.
0: It works on a meta level, too, the fact that it is a remake of one of those films. Yes.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, but I know I, I thought that was – I thought that was very interesting. Um Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> holy crap, she is good in this.
0: Yeah, I think this and might she, be one of her best performances.
1: It's, it, I think it's actually her second major performance. The year prior, she did Grease 2, which kind of introduced her to the world. Um, but this really showed that she can do a lot without – having to say a word
0: Mm -hmm. and it's a shame really because this movie kind of got like totally snubbed at the oscars um not it wasn't nominated for anything and i think you know it definitely deserved looking back you know a best uh adapted screenplay um best supporting actress for pfeiffer Mm -hmm. i'm not sure Al Pacino needs the um, Best support or best Actor no, nomination no, here. Um, no, he does not. Because at times it feels like he goes a little over. Yep. But um, there is still plenty of other things that, you know, they could have uh, at least considered this movie for. And it looks uh, like they didn't get nothing.
1: Uh, production design, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially considering they shot the entire thing in Los Angeles and not on location in Miami. <laughs>
1: Uh, but no, I, I think it, I think it's fantastic. I understand how it can is still even forty years later part of the cultural zeitgeist and has stood the test of time. I think it's, I think the themes and the storyline of this are timeless. I like how it plays with race, in um, like the Cuban community, kind of it. It feels relevant even to today is what I'm getting at.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does carry an interesting relevance um, because of, you know, the timely themes of the American dream mixed with the glamour, the glorification, maybe not glorification, but the allure of a life of crime, even though it can end suddenly, tragically, violently, horrifically. Um, People when, when the film came out. Critics were negative about it. They were like, oh, this is too violent. This is, you know, all the profanity. Um, and, yeah, I, I see you rolling your eyes and I agree with you because I think they were kind of taking this movie at a surface level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of violence. Yeah, there's a lot of profanity. These people are not, Yeah, you know, this is not a movie about a church group here. This yeah. is, you know, and I think... You know, it came out, you know, I mean, we still had like that whole 70s. Um,
1: Gangster wave with Godfather
0: and all that. And and the rise of altruism and stuff like that through the 70s, the new Hollywood. And critics should have been kind of, I don't want to say educated, but, you know, used to or understanding of that kind of wave. And I think this movie, you know, even though it's a remake of, you know, some regular studio uh, stuff from the 30s, I think... Think you know critics should have been able to see you know what De Palma and Stone and his screenplay were trying to do, what they were trying to talk about. It's very rooted in you know the uh, current events of the last couple of years. You have like the rise of cocaine as the popular drug of choice among the rich people, and we're going to see that over and over. In fact, Oliver Stone wrote this movie on cocaine, <laughs> but <laughs> I. I <laughs> um,
1: I really love that. When you think about specific moments in history where you've had an influx of um, of immigrants coming into, uh, let's use America as the example, obviously. Yeah.
0: Fleeing from a place of poverty, mm-hmm. a place where they were oppressed.
1: You have the idea that in America, you could be anything you want to be. So when you had, say, like, yeah, the Irish coming over in the 1800s during the potato famine. What film do we get that kind of puts all that into perspective? It's called Gangs in New York. Yeah. You um then uh, you look at like the 1920s, you have prohibition, you have bootlegging. That was another influx of um Irish and Italian immigrants mm-hmm. as well, um all trying to get to uh to um america and build their own lives and and build their own hierarchy um it was a time of excess during the prohibition um you just you have so much wealth that is being thrown about probably even amongst the wealthy not obtained legally and it's always kind of i love how it's always followed up by some sort of a crash of some sort. So obviously you had the 20s, you had Prohibition, and then you had the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. And I think putting this film in the 80s, bringing in, uh, showing, okay, yes, we have another wave of uh, immigrants coming into the country. I'm not saying that immigrants coming into our country are are a bad thing. No. But I understand how certain pointers can all feed into each other because you're all kind of clamoring to to be seen, to build their lives. Mm-hmm. And if crime is the only way they feel that they know how, then they're going to jump at the first thing that they can see because it's what's being mm-hmm. offered to them. But and- here we see cocaine. We see the 80s uh, wealth and rise of Oh, like the yuppie culture and mm-hmm. everything, and then what did they talk about in the third act? We're in a recession. Yep. <laughs> so I thought those parallels through history were were quite interesting and fascinating to kind of analyze.
0: Oh yeah. Um. I mean, and like you kind of said, this you know when you mentioned uh immigration at the beginning of the twentieth century, that kind of fed a lot of this um social and cultural uh conditions that the gangster cycle of films from the nineteen thirties from Warner Brothers that the original Scarface is a part of mm-hmm. were commenting on. Those films were talking about
1: people like Al Capone.
0: Yeah. Uh, literally Al Capone. Uh, uh
1: John Dillinger. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like uh, yeah, there's there's so many gangsters of that time and and that period not only was littered with them but we couldn't get enough of reading them in the papers they became famous they, to us. they were
0: folk heroes and that became to a point where warner brothers had to kind of be like okay we got to because they were getting heat from moral crusaders about you're glamorizing this kind of lifestyle and so warner was like okay we kind of have to like show that you know
1: they're getting their comeuppance
0: yeah, that's that's one of again one of the factors that came in in 1932, 33, 34 with the production code where you can't glorify criminality. You can't let, you know, criminals get away with their crimes at the end of the movie. They have to, you know, meet some kind of justice. And Usually you, it's being gunned down by the cops. But if, but if you go
1: back 50, 60 years, everyone was enamored with, you know, the rebels of the old west, like Billy the Kid and Jesse uh-huh. James and all of these uh, I don't think that cycle ever ends. I think there is something seductive about the crime and and someone who's willing to
0: buck the system and yeah. be independent. It's it's a, it's a weird dark side of mm-hmm. the whole um, American you know personal independence uh, theme that is part of our country's fabric.
1: It is kind of a fuck the system, fuck the patriarchy. Yeah. I'm taking them on, yeah. and
0: um, I
1: think people enjoy that.
0: It's like I've said before, though, you know, American individualism is often at odds with American society. Mm. And, you know, and I often say it in terms of, you know, political discussions. And I think kind of you're having we're kind of having a in general political discussion right now about this movie, not specific saying, oh, Reagan was the president at the time and he sucked. Uh, But um, but more of a
1: how it affects these films. And yes. the times that they yeah. were commenting
0: on, and 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 that frission between the two, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And I'm sure somebody might have written a doctoral thesis that dives far deeper into this than we've than we've just discussed right now. If
1: you find one, send it to oh, us. Oh, Yeah,
0: I'd love to read something I'd love to read like a really nice in depth thing on this. Yeah, me too. Because um, you know, I saw this for the first time what two weeks ago during a um, Fathom event screening. And as I was watching it, I was like, okay. It starts off with that kind of newsreel, news story footage yeah. of the Cuban boat people coming over and influxing into Florida. And I was like eleven when that happened. It was funny, because I was I was seeing the movie with a friend, our friend Andy, and um he's like and he at one point he referred to it as a vintage movie. And I said to him, I was like, son, <laughs> I remember the incidences talked about in the prologue. I was 11. I remember when this movie came out. I didn't go see it then because my parents certainly weren't going to take me to it. (laughs) But please, 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 for the sake of me not feeling like an incredible old man who should crumble into dust and blow away in the wind at this moment, stop referring to it as a vintage movie. (laughs) And he laughed. He's like, okay, okay. He got my point. But again, speaking to (laughs) the the cycle of uh, how things age in our culture and how we perceive that aging. But I'm glad I finally did catch up to it. Uh, it's one of the few Oliver Stone uh, films from that era that I hadn't seen yet. And I know I need to do a deeper dive into Brian De Palma's work, but this is one of his best films, I feel.
1: I I know some of De Palma. Um, so actually one of the films that I have seen is uh, – Oh, God. Here we go. Uh, Dionysus in 69.
0: Okay, that's one I have not seen.
1: You can find – I think you can find the whole thing on YouTube and it's split screen. It's it's not really so much a film as it is a recorded performance from a stage production in New York City. I can't remember the name of the uh, the performance group. That's okay. Uh, Justin was about ready to come out of the woodwork and just smack me because I <laughs> couldn't remember this. And I've only watched it like four or five times with him. It's brilliant. It's live. The movement that the audience, not the audience uh, the actors on stage are doing is some of the best physicality I think I've ever seen. But I wouldn't exactly call it a Brian De Palma film. It's not a film. Yeah, he
0: was there supervising the <laughs> pretty recording much, of it. Yeah,
1: pretty much an archive mm-hmm. film, but it's Familiar. not an archive <laughs> film. It's done nicer than that. Yes, I'm trying to think if I have seen
0: many of Brian De Palma's work. Um, well, you've seen the first Mission Impossible.
1: Yes. Okay. I didn't. Now, I didn't really realize that was him, though. And you've
0: seen Car- Carrie.
1: Yes, I have. I've okay. seen Carrie. Um, uh,
0: dressed to Kill. Um,
1: uh, no, actually, I was. Su- I tried to get to it when it was on Criterion um, uh, channel. Lot. You uh, seen a The Untouchables? No. Okay.
0: Um, blowout.
1: Nope. Oh. Um, I
0: know, I know, you haven't seen *Phantom of the Paradise*,
1: and I've not seen bon, *Bonfire of the Vanities*.
0: Oh, that's *Bonfire of the Vanities* is interesting. If you've read the book and then you see the movie, it's an interesting um, example of everything that can possibly fucking go wrong with an adaptation of a book, including missing the main themes. There um, is there's a, there's a great um, making of *Bonfire of the Vanities* book. Uh, while we're Quickly tangenting here. Uh, called, You're the
1: one quickly tangenting. Yeah,
0: called, <laughs> it's called The Devil's Candy, and it's one of the best books about how a movie can be made badly. Mm-hmm. And they turned it into a podcast with uh, at TCM a couple of years ago, and it's a, it's an amazing listen.
1: So there is a movie on the list I have seen okay. that I wish was better. Oh, dear. Oh, oh
0: yes. Oh, dear is right. What? The Black Dahlia. Yeah, okay. But... Um, that's that's fair. But if you liked Starface, and I know you did, this <clears> is kind of like his entry point into his, I mean, okay, De Palma was always kind of like derided as being like a Hitchcock wannabe, which I think is reductive and unfair. He's definitely drawing on a Hitchcock influence, but I think he's wanting to do his own thing as well, and he's getting to explore some things like in Dress to Kill, The Darker Side of Sexuality uh that Hitchcock could only kind of hint at in his movies. So I think he's he may be benefiting a bit from a looser time in terms of what you could discuss in film mm-hmm. uh than Hitchcock did. But I think he's also interested in his own things too, as, you know, like casualties of war would would let you know about. Um, but this is kind of like in the midst of a cycle where he's doing some, you know, very interested in the idea of uh, crime and gangsterism you get carlitos way in a few years um you know like i said uh Dress to kill uh blowouts we're all you know kind of thrillers in a similar way that this is a thriller so it's he's worth checking out and i i've only kind of like dipped in and out of his work over time i've never kind of like taken a month mm. and done a brian de palma may or something like that <laughs> and um I feel I should at some point, probably soon.
1: Um, So I sent something to you the other night when I was watching this.
0: Yes, yes, I wanted to circle back to this. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, you said something to me that kind of surprised me. Okay. And again, this kind of relates to uh, classic Hollywood and how this movie is vibing off of things. You said you were getting a lot of Gilda feelings off of this movie.
1: Ah, uh, the be in, in definitely within the first act, particularly okay. the relationship between Frank, Ovira, and Tony is essentially a mirror of the same relationship between um, Baden, Gilda, mm-hmm. and Johnny.
0: <laughs> um, okay. okay, yeah, kind of like that that weird vibey love triangle.
1: Yeah, but the love triangle of. I work for your husband Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden their husband has an accident and uh, (laughs) I not only Mm -hmm. take over the business, but I take his wife too. Yes. And it had that kind of parallel.
0: Mm -hmm. I could definitely see that. (laughs) Um, I I was thinking as I was watching it, because it's been years since I saw the 32 version, um, but one – one thing that stands out in that is there's a drive-by shooting at one point, uh, as Cagney's like running running down the sidewalk, and you know the cars going along, and gangsters leaning out with Tommy guns, and innocent people are getting hit, and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. um, which probably was criticized for that level of violence in its day.
1: I was gonna say <laughs> for 1932, it was, that's impressive to throw yeah, a drive-by in there.
0: Yeah, um, and it reminded me of. The attempted assassination of Tony in the club. As Tony's running along through mm-hmm. the club, the guys are following him. You know, are standing there but following him around with the the their submachine guns, their whatever they are, and um, innocent people getting caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's where I was really thinking about the flexibility that Oliver Stone takes in adapting. Well, you know the original 1930 novel and the you know and the 1932 film, and reimagining it. Usually, when you hear oh, we're going to reimagine something, it doesn't work. Um, but I think there's a lot of thought and care into okay, how do we retell this story, this character arc, these themes, these specific incidences, even. In a different milieu,
1: I think even some of the parallels of the how things are staged in this. Uh, so the bits and pieces I've seen from the thirty-two version, there was a a theme of X's and crosses running throughout the film, uh, whether it was built into the set or if it was a lighting effect. Mm-hmm. At one per- at one point, someone is shot and they fall on the sidewalk. In the shadow of this giant, like, almost like a black cross. Yeah. Um, And we did not really see any of that in this film until
0: right at the end right at the end <laughs> yes
1: which <laughs> and it wasn't done in terms of oh we're gonna do it with like lighting or we're gonna build it into the set or something like that no it's literally just how tony freaking lands in the pool mm-hmm.
0: and i went
1: yeah yes
0: <laughs> and i pointed and, at the television i think it gets a little heavy-handed when you they pull back out and you see like the light up globe that but, says the world is yours. But
1: that's from the original movie too. Yes, yes. There was that giant billboard. Mhm. So I like that they kept that theme going because that's kind of what this movie is about to begin with. It's about the American dream and how much how much of yourself are you willing to lose to go after it and get it. Mhm. So I like the idea that the world is yours. It's this It's this huge kind of – it's out there and it can be everything that you want, which I, I think is kind of this also – this idea of greed that stemmed in the 80s.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I would say too that, again, American exceptionalism, um, American individualism and – it was the early part of the Reagan administration and everybody and Ron was just there going we're all great and everybody was just like okay Ronald Reagan said we're great so we're great you know the guy who gave us bedtime for Bonzo um (laughs) which which is the cheapest of cheap shots uh to to level at Reagan honestly because everybody kind of in the 80s latched on to that and everybody's impersonation of ronald reagan was also rich little's impersonation of ronald reagan was well there you go again um but but there was a i don't know if it was misplaced or not but there was a pride that the country kind of had in itself that maybe overlooked things like the aids epidemic which was happening which reagan wouldn't acknowledge for another year or two until um, rock hudson finally died and you know he was friends with rock and that was like oh we should do something about this then. Um, because, you know, he was just like, everything's sunny. He was kind of a Pollyanna president. And the fact that this movie comes out in that time and basically says, yes, the world is yours and you could die while you try to get it. it was It's such a slap in the face to that idea that I could see why some critics at least didn't, were rebelled against yeah. it. Yeah. But they didn't want to in- engage with it on that level so they instead shifted their oh it's violent
1: well i love uh, one of the things that i really love about this and this movie and why i think you kind of root for tony is even though he loses himself to the money and the lifestyle and he falls apart by the end his The reason why he does what he does and his connection with his family, his little sister, his mom, which is not the greatest relationship with him and his mom, but he does try to be a good son in his way. I think everything he does stems from this idea of family, the family that he has, the family that he wants to create for himself. Uh, it. The way he propositions Elvira to become his wife and the mother of his kids is not an I love you kind of proposition. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels a you're in power. I want to be in power with the right woman by my side. Nothing could stop us. I want you to be the mother of my children, which is it's it kind of contradicts everything else that he has tried to do with his family and how he looks at Manny as like a brother. Um, he, he, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's an underling, but he is a, his brother, which is why I love the whole semblance of betrayal. I think the whole third act goes off the rails, and not in a bad way, but I mean, his breakdown is because of family. And kids his uh, lack at being a good and all son, the
0: cocaine he was doing <laughs> that's
1: the ex- yeah. that's the excess part yes but when you throw in like the car bombing potential car bombing that could have you know a woman and her kids in it um when you deal with the fact that he hasn't been uh, the best of sons he cannot father children currently um there's just there's so many things that happen the, Betrayal of Manny marrying his little sister. And you can see, he just sees red when he pulls that that gun. Mm-hmm. It, it's not even a case that he actually is angry with him. It was just all the dominoes had stacked at that moment. I,
0: I think he always saw his little sister as a, a great performance from Mary Elizabeth Mazzuconio. Yes. Um, as kind of like... A little as, girl. As a little girl. She's something pure. She's something innocent, something he's trying to protect from that world that he's in. He almost knows he's made a deal with a devil to get these kind of riches. He doesn't mind, but he wants to use that money to elevate her, but he also wants to insulate her from it. And you can't do you both. You can't do you it. You can't do both. And that's, I think, one of the, the minor tragedies of this overall story. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I was as I was doing some research, I came across – uh, a quote from that Martin Scorsese apparently said to somebody in the middle of the premiere of this film. It's like screening, and uh, Scorsese reportedly said, uh, "You guys are great, but be prepared because they're going to hate it in Hollywood because it's about them." So, do you see this as a, I-, I can a see a potential it. critique of Hollywood?
1: Hollywood? Yeah, uh, Hollywood and the the excesses of Hollywood. Absolutely. Um, I think Hollywood is one of those places where you really think the world can be yours. And and all I have to do is get up on that screen. And it will be. Mm-hmm. Not just in America. In the whole world. It will go global. Everyone will know my name. Everyone will know who I am. It, it does not... Um, it doesn't judge. It doesn't critique it's just i just need to get on it but once you do that you can make a deal with the devil you get what you want but how much are you gonna have to pay in return Mm -hmm. so yes i absolutely believe that if you really read into this this is a critique of hollywood it's not just a critique of the time period but of hollywood itself
0: and, and the american dream is also kind of a um you know Par- runs parallel to the uh, the idea of the Hollywood dream built up by the studio system in the thirties and forties of, you can come from anywhere and if you got it you can make it in Hollywood exactly, and yeah. be a star and, like I said that's a kind of a product of the PR systems <laughs> at Warner Brothers MGM Universal etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas you know that worked really hard to protect this this shiny. Uh, fantasy image of Hollywood but when you realize you know a lot of these people were flawed human beings and you realize you go back and you read a book like Mommy Dearest or uh, uh, you know or even like
1: just the amount of influx of people that you had go into Los Angeles in order to to try their luck at the American dream uh, and and try to make it in Hollywood and all of them have somehow ended with either giving up moving back Moving on to something else, or you know, the people who had become strippers, prostitutes, whatever they could to to make a living for a while during this time
0: period. Even worse, yeah. Um, you know, as we're talking about this, this is reminding me of the story of Peg and Whistle. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that is?
1: Uh, y- that name sounds very familiar. Why does it sound familiar? She is the
0: actress who kind of um, very despondent over how her career in Hollywood was not going. Um, she jumped off the Hollywood sign in. Uh, yes, in, yes,
1: in, yes, yes. In
0: 1932. I just looked it up as we were talking. Um, the same year that mm-hmm. the original Scarface came out. And um, so and it, what's, what's tragic is she had a movie coming out in a couple of weeks uh, that where she had, like, a a major supporting role, and the studio wound up trimming a lot of it out. You know, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, what what can we take out of this without totally damaging the film? Because they didn't want to have, like, any kind of adverse publicity about it. And what's left is, according to some folks, a really good performance. And she could have, you know, that could have been her turning point. She, you know, if she had just been able to you know go another couple of months until this film came out Um, which which is doubly tragic I
1: think. uh, The reason why that name was ringing a bell for me but I couldn't freaking place it because I haven't watched it in three years Um, it's kind of an inspired by piece Hollywood the Ryan Murphy miniseries that came out on Netflix several years ago Um, not all of it is real in the story but it it does kind of address the peg ant whistle. Um,
0: incident. Incident. Yeah. Thank you. Tragedy. Incident.
1: Uh By also saying we're, we're creating a movie about said tragedy. They, they called it Meg uh, because, no, because yeah. they didn't really want it to, to be shown as this is absolutely about this person. It's not
0: the peg ant whistle story.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. And, we're not glorifying it, but we are inspired by it. And we are inspired by the underbelly of Hollywood. And I like the idea that, um, in, in that world, they took, they took like a black actress and had her play Peg Mm -hmm. and all that. And of course that would never be seen in the 1930s, but you know, it was, it was a great well told story. And I think it kind of helped lay to rest some of the, uh, the skeletons in that closet. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's that's something I do. I watched like the first episode or two of Hollywood. It's really and good. And I, w- I was kind of like, I don't know, I was in a mood where I was like, they're kind of dancing around left and right here with some of the historical fact. And I it kind of got under my skin just a little bit. And I, I should have just, you know, kind of... Taking a step back and just let it do its thing. You should have, because and, wait till yeah, so. wait till Queen
1: Latifah shows up as Hattie McDaniel and she ooh. tells the story of the night that she went to the Oscars.
0: Okay, okay, i man <laughs> Okay, I will. And, uh, and they got Pageant
1: Brewster to play Tallulah Bankhead.
0: Ooh. that's a nice casting. Um, I will put that on my 2024 to go back to. Yeah, list.
1: Yeah, it's so. okay to dance around i'm still working
0: I, on my 2022 list by the way but
1: <laughs> what i i what you have to realize is it's fiction yeah it's not a true story it, it's and n- if you can pull back and just look at it as fiction mm-hmm. uh like for example like la confidential yeah it dances around with some of the actual facts but it's mm-hmm. of its own thing
0: true Um uh, or or better yet and this is kind of in my head because it just came back uh, for its fourth season um, for all mankind, which takes a uh, an actual point of historical fact or the, the moon landing and goes, what if the Russians beat us to it and then kind of th- spins out an alternate history from there? But I feel like still someone hits... was
1: talking about that the other day, like at, when I was at work.
0: Oh, at work? OK, because I know I was talking about it to a couple of people and I probably mentioned some stuff to you about it before. No, no, I was you. I think Someone your else. husband would really like it. Just from the it's history, on Apple, right? Yeah, it's on Apple Plus. Okay. So, um, but that's back for its fourth season, and I just watched the first two episodes last night. It was like,
1: yay! Me, it's just finding time to fit everything in. Uh, I know. The, the I Crown, know. the first part of the final season of The Crown just dropped on Thursday. I'll be lucky if I can get one episode of that in today, because that's just how booked my day
0: is. I, I understand, and it's me, eleven a.m. Um, <laughs> Uh, I have a list over here that I've written out. This is the list of email screeners I received in just two days.
1: Jesus Christ!
0: <laughs> and out of that list, there are four that I'm like, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Excuse me. That I'm like, oh, I should really watch.
1: So, what's on the what's on our agenda for next week, Rich?
0: Okay, next week. Another historical piece, but one for which none of us were alive.
1: Oh <laughs> yes, this <laughs> another one. great
0: film director at his uh, that we're anxiously looking forward to uh, seeing. Uh, we're talking about the brand new film coming out this weekend, <clears throat> Napoleon. I'm so excited for this. um, We will be back uh, (laughs) next weekend, or actually next week, next Monday or Tuesday. Um, So you will have something interesting to listen to while you're eating your Thanksgiving leftovers. (sighs) But on that note, though, I think that about wraps us up. And if you want to check out the 1983 version of Scarface, you can find it on Netflix or Apple TV, Redbox, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Voodoo and Google Play movie.
1: Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are available on iTunes and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe.
0: And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review, because that always helps us connect with new listeners. Like we said, we'll be back next week with our look at Napoleon.
1: Yay! And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, guys.
0: Happy Thanksgiving. If you want out else, you gotta take her out.